this book that I have in my hand, the Bible. I don't care what your spirit says. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it isn't God. I don't care what another church says. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it isn't God. Well, you know, it could be construed if you have to think that hard. It ain't God. If it doesn't, without equivocation, without earnest understanding and clarity, line up with God's word, flee. Are you okay with that? You see, what the emerging culture is trying to do is seduce us into, well, it's okay, God understands. No, he doesn't. Now, I'm not trying to teach doom and gloom, and I'm not trying to bring a gavel or a hammer down, other than it's God's word or nothing else matters. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. We have your Bibles, open them to 2 Thessalonians. Put your finger there, then open them to 2 Timothy. Today I start a series on the end times. Today I start a series on the last days on what I consider, without reservation, the very soon return of Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of us are a little warm in here. This, this time of the year, we get a couple, you know, a couple, six weeks or so, it gets a little warm, and, uh, you know, next week, it'll probably be nice and cool, so. But just uh, rejoice in the fact that it's not as hot as it could be someplace else. The title of this sermon is the church turning many unto myths. Now, I want you to look at me quickly. I am going to irritate some of you because I am going to talk about some of your favorite preachers. Oh, you shouldn't talk about other preachers in church. If they're not talking about God's word, I should. Some of the biggest names in Christendom, and I, I went out on the Internet, and we're going to show video clips And every video clip that I am showing, I have researched thoroughly to find out that it wasn't just a slip up. There was a statement, a commitment to the statement, and not a return from the statement. And there's lots of them I should have shown, but just for sake of time. A couple of the clips are a little long, so I will try to get through all this expeditiously uh, in, in light of time. But I start this sermon very 
specifically with this. This is not in your notes, so don't even look. I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear what I'm going to say. I start this sermon in this manner as it is the most important to understand with everything so blatantly happening in the world, why most in Christianity will not see what is going on. Now, they cannot see. They will not see. What in the world is going on? Why? Because they have chosen not to see. You see, it's the old ostrich syndrome. If I ignore it, it doesn't affect me. If I don't bother it, it doesn't bother me. If I pretend it doesn't exist, it'll just go away. Folks, it isn't going away. Jesus is coming back. And everything that he said that will happen will happen. We have his word on it. You say, Pastor, why? Very simply, they have been seduced or are being seduced into what I call a secularized Christianity. And some that are in this room, you have fallen into this area. What is a secularized Christian view? It is very simply a very nice moralized worldview. So once again, I start with this, as if you don't get where we are right now, none of the rest of this series is going to matter. It's just going to be pictures on the board. It's just going to be words in a preacher's mouth. It's just going to be another day in your life. If you don't grab a hold of where the church is today, all the rest of the stuff I do in the next two or three weeks will not make a difference. Next week, I'm going to get back into the blood moons. The end of this series, we have Jews for Jesus coming in, and they're going to talk about Rosh Hashanah. They're going to talk about the Feast of Trumpets. They're going to talk about it two days before the second blood moon, which is very pertinent to the time we live. I'm going to take you in to what I talked about last year when I told you about the four blood moons that are falling on the four high holy days. And I told you that in the, the Torah... There is a picture of, of the things that will happen when certain things happen in Judaism. And one of them talks about when the blood moon falls on the high holy days. That great travesty will begin in Israel. And great change will happen in the world. And I'm going to bring out some times and dates and situations starting next week when I speak about the blood moons. After that, I'm going to get into the war in the Middle East, how the Bible foretold it 4,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago, exactly how it would come down. And it is coming down to the T, as the Word of God has said. And then on the last Sunday, you'll just have to come, won't you? Today's culture is what has been called in Christian circles now the emergent or the emerging culture. Pastor is just coming out of 
seminary. These are terms that were floating around profusely. Things that I have been watching for many years. The emergent church. The emerging church. If I can put it in a simple nutshell, the emerging church is trying to find its place in society from this understanding. They know that the society will not accept them unless they acknowledge that the life they're living is okay and God understands. Are you with me today? How many are ready for the ride? Keep your hands and feet inside. It will get bumpy. But you will get to the destination God has promised. Second Thessalonians 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, let no one deceive you. Underline that in your notes. Let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come. That day will not come. That day will not come until a whole bunch of people turn away from Jesus. How many see it happening in society today? This is what the emerging church is trying to grab a hold of. And listen what it says. People ask me, Pastor, how do we know when the tribulation begins? This day will not happen until there's first a great falling away and the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. There's two places in the word of God that this term son of perdition, which means doomed to destruction or son of destruction or son of hell. Two places in the Bible this was used. One is in the book of John when it's talking about Judas Iscariot. The Bible says, as Jesus was praying for the disciples, Lord, Father, that none would be lost save the son of perdition. That your word be filled. The other places here are talking about it in reference to the Antichrist. The Antichrist, someone destined to hell by choice, not by God's design. I have told people for many years what separated Judas from Peter is a decision. It could have very well been Peter in his arrogance, in his hot-headedness, his argumentiveness. Judas did the same stuff, except he wasn't blatant in front of the disciples. He was behind the scenes, and the disciples saw. Peter just stood up like some of us do and just kind of open mouth and insert foot. And maybe I'm just talking about myself, but that's what happens. Except the son of position who opposes and exalts itself above all that is called God, that he might be worshipped. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks again about the last times. As he's writing to a young disciple, he says, I solemnly urge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. How many know that Paul is trying to give Timothy an understanding? Jesus is coming back. One day, not today, but it could be. And look what he told Timothy. And underline this in your notes. Preach the word. Underline it, folks. He didn't say preach your feeling, preach your idea, preach your thought, preach your theology, preach your emergent emerging society culture. He says, preach the word. That's what he said. Turn that hearing aid down there, Ed. Ray. <laughs> Sorry, just kind of come on me. Look what he says. He said, be prepared. Whether the time's favorable, whether the time's not. Be prepared in what? In preaching God's word. He said, correct, 
rebuke, and encourage. How? In God's word. Now, I want you to listen to this. The time is coming that people will no longer want to listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. Underline that. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for themselves teachers who will teach what their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And then he said, Timothy, but keep your head clear. I understand all this is happening. Ladies and gentlemen, look at me. If you miss this, don't come the next two weeks. It's not going to matter. Because I'm literally going to scare the hell out of you. Is that okay? Can I say that in church? Some of us need that scared out of us so we can make heaven. Keep a clear mind. This book that I have in my hand, the Bible, I don't care what your spirit says. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it isn't God. I don't care what another church says. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it isn't God. Well, you know, it could be construed if you have to think that hard. It ain't God. If it doesn't, without equivocation, without earnest understanding and clarity, line up with God's word, flee. Are you okay with that? You see, what the emerging culture is trying to do is seduce us into, well, it's okay, God understands. No, he doesn't. Now, I'm not trying to teach doom and gloom, and I'm not trying to bring a gavel or a hammer down, other than it's God's word or nothing else matters. Yeah, but I don't like the way it says it. And that matters why? Yeah, but maybe it could be construed. How many know that God said what he meant and meant what he said? Well, it all depends on the interpretation. Really. I love what Samuel Clement, we know him better as Mark Twain said. He said, you know, there's things in the Bible that I think I understand. There's lots of stuff in the Bible I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't fully understand. But he said, what keeps me going is there's too much in this Bible I cannot misunderstand. And instead of trying to read yourself into the Scripture, let God read himself into you. Can somebody say amen? Are you okay with me so far? Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Underline that, folks. And I'll tell you right now, if you are truly a child of God, if you are truly a Christian and you are truly living for God, you will suffer for standing for Jesus Christ. We're going to get into a lot of scripture today. And I say this, all of the end time series go a little bit longer. Are you guys okay with that? Look at what he says here. Work at telling others about the good news. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul has warned the time would come when people would not endure sound doctrine, 
but desire to have themselves teachers to suit their passions. Turning them, literally turning them from the truth, helping them wander off into myths. This warning has proved true over and over, but more especially today when we have multitudes of preachers that are proclaiming half-truths and false doctrines simply to, to entice and to gather for their own benefits. Are you with me today? How do we recognize it? How do we recognize them? We know that deception is very deceptive. My wife, when she saw that line, she said, that's, that's kind of a, that's redundant. What are you saying? I said, just exactly what I'm saying. Deception is very deceptive. You can be deceived and not, only, not even know it. Pastor, how does that happen when you don't bring it back to this? When you don't bring it back to this? Are you okay? When you don't bring it back to God's word, for those listening on the podcast, once again, it's not about a feeling. It's not about an emotion. It's not about a like or a dislike. It's about does it measure up and line up in God's word? Most people are not willingly fooled. That's why I say the deception is very deceptive. We also know that not a single person is going to stand up in a pulpit and say, what I'm about to teach you is false doctrine meant to deceive and to destroy you. And let me turn the coin here because I also know that it would be arrogant for me to stand up here and say that I'm right and others are wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just as wrong if I dare veer from the word of God at all. So I'm trying to teach the understanding in this day that we live, we have to not be deceived. In Matthew 24, when Jesus talked about one of those places where people say, this is the actual timeline of the last days of the rapture, of the tribulation period, and all these different things, the very first thing that Jesus starts out in Matthew 24 is, do not be deceived. So how do we recognize him? Paul turned to Timothy, and he warned him. Paul turns to us. And he warns us. And so we have to ask ourselves what exactly distinguishes the characteristics of ear-tickling preachers. What do we look for that we're not deceived? Number one in your notes. An ear-tickling preacher, an ear-tickling ministry will always be adjusting God's word. They will not listen to the word of the cross and they will not preach the understanding of self-denial. I'm not going to preach popularity today. I'm going to preach God's word. Jesus told his disciples if anyone was going to follow him, listen to what he said, they had to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow them daily. 
and I left some scriptures in there. All the scriptures are not going to be on there. There's just way too much to talk about. Listen to this. Paul wrote, those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen, have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. Folks, it's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you and I and our happiness. I should have read Dale Carnegie before I came up today, Winning Friends and Influencing People. I didn't read that book today. I've read it, like part of it. Let me show you a video clip that has been making its way around the Internet And I went out and I looked for the retraction. I looked for all the restatements. And all the restatements and all the retractions only made the first statements worse. Because it's what they actually believe. Could you go ahead, sis? Listen to this. ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy that's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning so I want you to know this morning just do good for your own self do good because God wants you to be happy when you come to church when you worship him you're not doing it for God really you're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy amen you're not doing it for God you're doing it for how many love Joel Osteen His dad was one of my favorite preachers in the world. And his dad never preached this. Folks, I'm not trying to slam Joel Osteen, but I'm going to talk about him a little bit. Why? Because he's got millions of people that he is discipling. And his discipleship is not listening to the word of the cross and denying yourself. It is doing whatever you like. I could have put up clip after clip after clip. But I have to ask you a question. By virtue of the scriptures I just read, what part of taking up the cross and denying, saying no to yourself, does that fall into? Giving up our own lives is what God has called us to. Denying this is sinful. Dying to self, dying to this world, renouncing what the world stands for is the fundamental part of discipleship. Giving in the church is not for the return. It's for the obedience. It's for the trust. It's believing that God would do what God said he would do. I can take you to scripture after scripture after scripture of people that gave everything away and still died a martyr's death. Happily. There is no longer, or excuse me, this is no longer popular in Christendom. This taking up the cross is self-denial. We want to hear what we want to hear, whether it's biblical or not. If we don't find it, we will find a church a ministry, or a minister that will give it. That's why you have thousands of denominations and churches, even here in Flagstaff. There's 80, 70 or 80 Christian 
churches. A smorgasbord of opportunity. Joel Osteen and others seem to continually sidestep the issue of calling sin, sin. You say, Pastor, why is that? Because if I do, I'm going to offend somebody. I'm offending people in this place right now. It's okay. I have that gift. You see, God never says in his word that it's going to be a bed of roses. And even if it did say that, he would always put the underlying factor, remember, a bed of roses will be full of thorns. Preaching on sin is not popular today. Yet throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, there are warnings about the dangers of sin and the relentless call for all to turn away. Our salvation is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, and we have been given victory over sin, not to lay down in it. We are saved by grace and grace alone. And those who understand this will turn from sin. And those who don't or won't do not. Let me take you back into the scripture. Second chapter of Titus. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. What brings salvation? The grace of God. And we have been instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure. What's the word of God say? Underline that. We've been instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure. For we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, devotion to God while we look forward to the hope of the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is revealed. When Jesus returns to this earth, he gave his life to free us from every sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds, what he has called us to do. Now, folks, that doesn't mean that as leaders, we no longer need to warn hearers about the deceitfulness of sin. People think, well, just because it's, we're saved by grace, just because the grace of God has been revealed, that the preacher shouldn't have to preach on this. Sure we do. Why? Because deception is ultimately deceptive. And we have to be vigilant warning people about sin. Because so much grace has been given to us, our responsibility before God as a pastor is even greater. Can you say amen this morning? Hebrews 2 says it this way, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. Where does the truth come from, church? God's word. God's word. Now, I, and I, I appreciate whoever said the Lord because there's a lot of voices out there that are calling themselves the Lord, but they're not lining up with God's word. Paul said it this way in the book of Galatians. He said, if I preach any other gospel than what is preached already to you, let me be accursed. Any other gospel, any other gospel than what this word is telling us. Let me go on another step further. If I, Paul says, or an angel from God. There's one showed up named Moroni. How many remember that angel? 
if I or an angel of God preach any other gospel than this gospel, the word of God, let him be accursed. See, it's not just somebody saying something. Ladies and gentlemen, I go through great lengths to give you my notes. I have to dissect them down. But when you get the video or the audio, you're going to hear every single thing I'm preaching. And if somebody wants my full notes, all they got to do is be the first one to ask because usually I give them away every week to the first person. And the next person, I don't have them. Sorry, I already gave them away. I'm not hiding anything. You know why? Because I'm going to answer for everything. And I want you to go home and study. That's why you have those notes in your hands. Why? Because if I preach any other gospel, then you need to run. Am I making any sense at all today? Be careful to listen to the truth that you have heard, or we may drift away from it. Let me throw that in there for all the eternal security folks. I told you I'm going to irritate people today, or we may drift away from it. Oh, yes, you can walk away from your salvation. The devil can't steal it, but you can walk away from it. Can I make it any clearer? For the message of God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think if we, that we can escape if we ignore the salvation, the great salvation that was first announced by the Lord himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit as he chose. Let me jump down to Hebrews 10. Look what it says. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, say it again. If we deliberately continue sinning, can I say that again? If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the truth, there is no more covering for our sins. I mean, pastor, I'm back in my sins. You read it. How many are okay? I love God's word. (laughs) Just right there. One of the biggest churches in America is a pastor by the name of Rob Bell. He and another man, these are both in the news, Mike Driscoll, started two churches at the same time, unbeknownst of each other, on separate sides of the country, one in Michigan, one in Washington. And they called them both Mars Hill. After Paul's sermon, on Mars Hill. The sermon you may not be aware of but are familiar with, it was Paul was talking, they had statues to every God imaginable. And then right in the middle of the whole bunch there on Mars Hill, they had this, this statue with an inscription to the unknown God. Guess which one Paul grabbed a hold of and started preaching about? He said, I know this unknown God. These other gods got no clue. I know who this one is. They started these churches, and both of them are immersed in deep corruption today. One has just taken God's word and totally trashed it. Go ahead, sis. This is a guy, and I want you to listen to the doctrine he now teaches. Um, 
On a more serious note, uh, you're here in West Hollywood. Yes. And kind of epicenter of the gay community here yes. in California. Yeah. Um, a lot of the words that Christians have for us have been very negative. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. We're here in West Hollywood, epicenter of a lot of uh, gay culture, and you're asking, um, some people are gay, and you're our brothers, and you're our sisters, and we love you. Thank you. We love you. Uh, and it's really, really, really important that we're clear. I had a good friend when I was in my teens who was gay and hadn't told anybody. And I was the first person he told. And um, probably the most loving, generous, uh, holy, one of the most, um, he was extraordinary, is extraordinary. But at an early age, I was like, some people are gay. And God loves them just like God loves me. And they're passionate disciples of Jesus, just like I'm trying to be. So let's all get together and try to do something about the truly big problems in our world that I believe Jesus would have us band together and tackle together. This guy has written a New York Times bestseller called Love Wins. Telling the homosexuals they're just as much Christian as we are. That they're just saved as we are. What's God's word say? Say, Pastor, that's not popular. I know. In this culture, it's not. They're looking for teachers to teach what the culture has accepted. Not what God's word says. What do you think is right, the culture or God's word? Are you guys okay? Oh, it gets better. Hebrews 12, look at this. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking, speaking of the Lord. For if the people of Israel didn't escape when they refused to listen to Moses, your earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks from heaven. How do I know what's right or wrong? How do I know that I not be deceived? If it doesn't line up with God's word, it's wrong. Second thing in your notes, preachers have become celebrities more to desire than examples to be admired. The celebrity pastor Preacher, evangelist, has become the cliche of the hour. This is one of the greatest signs of the Lord's return. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 20. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. In 2 Timothy, Paul recounted the persecutions and suffering that he endured for the gospel. Sadly, how they didn't lesson, but rather intensified the more he lived for God, the more he did for God, the more he worked for God. Listen to me. If you and I are truly living the Christian life, 
you will be challenged to stand up for non-Christian things, ungodly activity, and principles that are happening in the world. You will be challenged. Do you? Joel Osteen, Rob Bell, they're not confronting sin. They're propagating love. Encourage. And I, I believe in that. I'm good with all of that. But if I do not stand up and take the one that calls himself a Christian that is truly not living like a Christian and put it on the table, what have I become? A teacher preaching what people want to hear, not what they need to hear. Am I making any sense today at all? Listen to what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. Everyone who wants to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Let me read it again. Everyone who wants to live godly in in Christ will suffer persecution. My heart breaks for you college kids. I see Sam's up visiting with us, and, and I know, you know, uh, 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 Jacob and Emily and many others, uh, Julie and, and, the, and my heart, you guys got to stand. You cannot be a closet Christian. Those kids need you to stand. On your job, you cannot, well, my, 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 my faith is, is private. Then you're not even saved. Are you glad that Jesus didn't live a private faith? That Paul didn't live a private faith? There's nothing private about our relationship with Jesus. He said, shout it from the mountaintop. He said a bushel with a fire under it, it's going to get burned. He said, light yourself on fire and let the whole world see. John Wesley, they were asked, how do you get so many people to come? He said, it's simple. I set myself on fire and they come to watch me burn. You see, the world's looking for something. They're looking for someone. Not celebrities. But if they can't find somebody that will stand, somebody that will rise up and will suffer for the gospel. Oh, I stopped at the period. I need to go on. But evil people and imposters will flourish. We're talking about Christians here, church. Look what it says. They'll deceive others. And they themselves will be deceived. Deception is very deceiving. Some have said, a church like ours, with the ministry, the worship, the teaching that we have, I thank Pastor for his very kind words. We should be the biggest church in Flagstaff already. And I can tell you, If I changed my preaching a little bit, we would be. That's not arrogance. That's fact. We've got an awesome worship team. 
we've got great teaching. I mean, between Pastor Philemon and, and the other men and women of God in this church, we've got some incredible people. Folks, on Wednesday night, we have more people come to church on Wednesday night than most churches have on Sunday morning. Do you know why? Because they're hungry. They want to grow. They want to learn. They want to understand. This last Wednesday night, questions were just boom, 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 boom. And you know what? God's word had every answer. I want to know what in the world is going on, but I can't go anyplace else but to God's word. If you come to me and ask, you know where I'm going to go? God's word. Because there is no other truth on earth. Can you say amen? Sadly, many Christians don't like the concept of what Jesus said would happen if our lives resonate a Christian experience. That the world would treat us just like they treated him. Let me tell you what the word of God says. Jesus in John 15 said, if the world hates you, keep in mind, they hated me first. I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but I think we need to understand what Jesus said. Matthew 5 says it this way, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my follower. Never cower down because they mock and they persecute and they ridicule and they come against because you are his follower. Brothers and sisters, they're hoping that what you have is real. Look what the scripture says. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For great is your reward. He said, listen to this. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted the exact same way. Listen to what Jesus said about both sides of the coin. And maybe we should ask ourselves which side we're on. There in the 18th verse of John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you. As its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world will hate you. So the question that has to be obvious, and I want you to listen, I left it in your notes on purpose. If our Christian example has gained neither opposition nor irritation with others, should you not check your Christianity? Just like ear-tickling preachers, if your life never challenges the worldview with the Christian view, are you tickling the ears any different? Now, It's one thing to have a good reputation with integrity and purity as we live out what we preach, but it's another thing altogether if our life is not lived as such to where it's actually offensive to sinners. Jesus warned us quite sternly. Look at the scripture, Luke 6. It is bad for you if everybody speaks good about you. It is bad for you if everyone speaks good about you. That's how they spoke with the false prophets. Everybody liked them. Why? 
their life was never challenged by them. It was okay to do whatever they wanted to do. In Isaiah 5, look what it says. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and that light is dark, that bitter is sweet and that sweet is bitter. So far I've shared some things about some of the biggest names in Christianity. This morning doesn't have time to even cover a fraction of that. But I'm going to bring up another big name. It's a five-minute video. I'm not going to show the whole video, but I'm going to stop it in a place where this man blatantly denies God's Word. And he stands. Every interview you hear on this subject, he stands by his statements. Go ahead, sis. It's an interview on CNN. You might recognize the guy. I, here's my confusion about you, because sure. you've been with your wife, Kay, extremely generous in tackling things like AIDS. You've right. given millions to helping fight AIDS. Right. So and and work with, any... with gay organizations all around the world. Right, right, right. So you clearly have no problem with gay people per se, yeah. and yet you want to prevent them having the same rights to get married as straight people. And that leads me to, I suppose, a more obvious supplementary question. Do you personally believe that gay people are born gay, or do they become gay? Are they made gay? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think the jury's still out on that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me if there was, quote, a gay gene found. The jury is still out on that. What does God say in his word? Nobody's born gay. Gay is not a chance, it's a choice. That's what God's word teaches. The jury's not out. God says this very plainly in his word. And then he says, it wouldn't bother me if a gay gene was found. Hmm. So God made a mistake, and now man has to find God's mistake, and there's a gay gene. Every interview I've listened to by Rick Warren is the same thing. Rick Warren boasts one of the biggest churches in America, and he's got thousands of homosexuals come to his church, which is not a problem, except he doesn't preach on the sin of homosexuality. I'm making people nervous in here. Folks, the word of God's black and white. You love the sinner, but you tell him you can't live in that sin. Just like people living together and, well, we're married, we've been living together, common law. No common law is married in the sight of God. And that's because you have followed God's instructions on Mary. You live together, it's called sin. Pastor, what happens if the rapture happens? You do not go. All the things that are happening in the world, if we don't want to hear today's message, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. God's word is what matters. How many are saying amen? amen? Good. There's a whole lot more to that. And go out and Google it. I love Rick Warren. 
he has written one of the most incredible sites and, I, and I, books, Purpose Driven Life. We use it here. Awesome. He wrote that book 20 plus years ago. His views have changed a little bit. The problem is, is when we start gathering to ourselves lots of people, lots of people start dictating what we can preach, what we can't preach. And when that starts happening, are you with me? Now I'm going to tell you something. Don't run out and make a bunch of enemies by jumping in their face. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living a Christian example because that will be enough in their face. Revelation chapter 3. You know what the Bible says? I want you to be hot or I want you to be cold. But because you're neither, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And I taught last year on the rapture. And I gave a breakdown of that passage, and I will probably deal with that again during this series. Let me bring to part three. Will you guys give me a few more minutes this morning? That's good. Four of you said yes. What about the other 200 of you? Okay. Today's church seems to be more about nickels, numbers, and noise. It used to be that men of God were measured by prayer, power, and passion, but today's world, it seems they're more measured by lights, camera, and action. I have heard many will go so far as to say, well, my call is to bring comfort and encouragement. It's not to challenge and confront. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a child of God, your call is to challenge, confront, encourage, and lift up. It is all of the above. It is to speak the truth in love. We are to not, you know, bash people. Well, you're a lousy, rotten dish. You're going to hell. Well, except for God's grace, you were too. The Bible says that we were all like this. But by God's grace, we've turned. I agree with the concept that that. Our call is to encourage and to love and lift up. But ladies and gentlemen, if our life is not confronting and challenging, then we have to challenge our own life in the Word of God. Many are wanting to say only what the flesh wants to hear, not what God wants them to say. This assures, talking about pastors, this assures a large attendance, and might I also add, very large coffers. You know why? Because when a pastor can, when a person could go to church and not be confronted with their sin or repentance, it's quite favorable to be able to give that warrants that comfort level. Giving seems to be easier when you feel okay that what you're doing in your life is okay. And people don't want to feel challenged. This is why it's easier to preach what is comfortable more than it is to preach what causes discomfort. The Old Testament and the New Testament prophets would deal with this all the time. People did not want to hear the godly words that were actually required them when God said, have no other gods besides me. What the other gods were very simply called were idols. Anything that sets itself before God is an idol, and no idolater, the Bible says, will make heaven. 
This doesn't sit well with the self-consumed, narcissistic society and world that we live in that only wants to hear what it wants to hear and to be told it can do whatever it wants to do. Responsibility is something the children of Israel did not want them and the children of God do not want now. Isaiah chapter 30, I'll get to the video in just a second. The scripture says, write these things down. Write them in a book. And they will stand until the end of time as a witness that these stubborn people rebel and refuse to pay attention to the Lord's instructions. This is what they tell the prophets, the seers, those that God gives the vision. They say, stop seeing the visions. Don't tell us what is right. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Forget all of this gloom. Get off your narrow path and stop telling us about the Holy One of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, is that not a scripture for 2014? There is not one. I'm going to take you to another video clip. They only put a picture of him, but his voice very clearly. I've went and looked at his website and studied it all through, and everything he says on this thing is exactly what he believes. Go ahead and put it up. Maybe you might recognize. Uh, I've got a surprise for you today. Okay. Do you remember when you talked about the uh, someone asked uh, about the mark of the beast and whether or not someone could receive the mark of the beast and then become a believer? You remember that? Uh-huh. Do you remember the controversy that stirred up? Yes. It was quite a bit, wasn't it? It was. I got a lot of emails, people saying, I can't believe he would say such a thing. You remember all that? Yes, sir, I do. All right. Well, I was walking April the other night listening to a Q&A uh, from a few years ago uh, where Pete, John MacArthur on a Wednesday night lets would have the folks in his congregation stand up and go to the microphones and shoot questions at him. Would you like to hear the question he was asked and his answer? Okay, here we go. In regard to the latter half of the tribulation period, when when men would be required to have the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell, my question is, uh, once a person takes the mark, is there any possibility of him coming to Christ? Yes. Uh, I think, you know, in, in the seven-year tribulation coming in the future, we're going to get into this so probably a week from Sunday night, maybe this Sunday night, maybe a week, I'm not sure. But... Um, the tribulation is a seven-year period, right? The rapture of the church, seven-year tribulation, then Christ returns, sets up his kingdom. Now, in that seven-year period, really two things happen. God begins to judge the world in, with a series of holocausts, and at the same time, he begins to redeem his people, Israel. And in the process of this, the Antichrist establishes his rule, and in order to function in the economy of the Antichrist, you have to take the mark of the beast. Uh, the mark being the number of a man, Revelation 13, 666, six is the number of man, right? Seven is the number of perfection, and man always falls short of perfection. Six, 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 six. Always six is never seven. So the number of man. And apparently what's going to happen, you take the mark on your hand or on your forehead. And we've talked a lot about that, you know, that, uh, that that's kind of the computer situation. We're now moving fast toward the time when we're going to have to do everything we do by cards and by numbers and all of that. And uh, uh, those number, the thing about a card that's a problem is you lose it, and they've already devised systems to put the number on your hand and on your forehead, and you go through a scanner, and, you know, that's how you buy and sell. It's automatically deducted from your bank account. Now, the question is, if you're living in the tribulation period, and you take this mark, in other words, you identify with the beast's empire, Will you still be able to be redeemed? And I think the answer to that is yes. 
Every website that he has, he says the same thing. Every interview he does, he says the same thing. You want me to tell you what God's Word says? Revelation chapter 14. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image and for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Some of the biggest pastors in America. What is happening? They have such huge constituencies. People say, you better start dealing with this stuff in a comfortable way. And so how easy? Well, I have to live in the world. And if the Antichrist is going to be in charge during the tribulation, well, God knows my heart. That's right. He said, if you accept him and you deny the cross, the mark, you will die. You will be beheaded, the Bible says. You will become a martyr. You cannot take the mark and live through the tribulation period. Are we okay with God's word? How many think God's true and man's a liar? There was a man in a very large church in Texas, true story, recently found out that the owner of the local strip club, or a local strip club, was attending the church that his, fa- his family attended. The pastor was approached and asked about it, and the pastor said, at least he's coming to church. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? That's better than not coming at all. How many would concede that's true? On the surface, it seems it would be good. Except the pastor will not preach on sin. He will never confront this guy who was one of the largest givers in his church about the exploitation of young women, the drawing people to sin. And so rather than give than this man getting convicted of his sins, he leaves week in and week out following a myth that it's okay as long as I'm going to church. You've heard me tell you church isn't going to save you. Victorious life isn't going to save you. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what the Word of God says when it says they're turning people from the Word of God to myths. They're they're taking it and bringing just enough out to where it's still God's Word but they're lacing it with the world's deception. Jesus was very profound about that. Paul was very profound. He said, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power from such flee. If these are the people that you randomly or consistently listen to, I would encourage you to stop. You say, Pastor, has John MacArthur done anything good? Done lots of good. But folks, I'm a believer that if you take a whole lot of good and put a little bit of bad in it, doesn't the bad make it all bad? What's that old saying? One bad apple? A little bit of lie and a whole lot of truth? What's it do to the truth? You see, if I stand up here and say it's okay for you to live in fornication, 
and I never confront it, and then the rapture happens and you don't go to heaven, guess what? I probably wouldn't go to heaven either. Why? I'm not preaching God's word. If doing whatever, I told you about the emergent, emerging church movement. Let me give you a synopsis of it. What this movement is all about, it takes its name from the idea of the culture changes, that the culture is emerging, this new world is emerging, and the concept is, is God's word has to emerge and change with it. This movement falls into line with basic post-modernistic thinking. Uh, modernism is basically after the, 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 uh, the, uh, the revolution of the, of the 50s, when it was very godly, and the modern thinking is that everything in the world is evolving, and man has to evolve, and religion has to evolve. Every religion in the world has revolved to a degree, with the exception of Christianity, Judaism and Islam, the three biggest monotheistic religions in the world who happen to base their root in the same God, but Islam and Christianity have two completely different gods. Judaism and Christianity have the same God. This movement falls into line with this postmodernistic thinking. It is about experience over reason, subjectivity over objectivity, spirituality over religion, images over words, outward over inward, and feelings over truth. I'm talking about the emerging, emergent church that is sweeping up. Happens to be Rick Warren, Joel Osteen uh, is all part of that. John MacArthur is not. Uh, you know, I talked on Wednesday night, somebody passed, asked Pastor, what websites do you go to? What places do you go to? I, I would encourage you to go find them and then ask me what do I think about them. Not because I know everything. I just know a lot about those things because I search them all the time. You know what Joseph or, or, or uh, uh, Jimmy DeYoung's ministry is? It's, called, it's a huge ministry called Prophecy Today, one of the biggest prophecy ministries of the world. And he's teaching that you can take the mark of the beast and still go to heaven. So why do I say? Not because I know everything. I, you say, well, Pastor, what's a good rule of thumb? How do I know? Go find the person, find out what his doctrine is. What his doctrine is is what he'll be espousing. Find out what it is. And then ask somebody. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Let me go back to the emerging, emergent church. These are reactions to modernism. Modernity is what they come from and are thought to be necessary in order to actively engage the contemporary culture. Most groups, however, embrace postmodernistic thinking. See, modernity is already done. Uh, 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 postmodernism is what they're grabbing a hold of now, which, listen to this, this is postmodernity, says what eventually leads is a very liberal, loose translation of the Bible. This, in turn, leads, leads to a liberal doctrine and theology. For example, because experience is valued more highly than reason, truth is now relative. And relativism, all relativism means what's right for Pastor Philemon may not be right for me. And what's right for me may not be right with him. He's still right, and I'm still right. How can we both be right and both be wrong? You can't. 
That's because there is no moral absolutes. Ladies and gentlemen, the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is filled with moral absolutes. You take and throw the word of God away, you have no right and wrong in the world. And this is what we have to. But this is what all of your church world, the Christian world, is encompassing today. I wonder if it happens to be a fulfillment of the scripture that we just read in 2 Thessalonians. That day will not come until there is first a great falling away. Oh, thank you, Jesus. When a pastor refuses to teach the full gospel, the whole counsel of God, people very quickly develop myths that no matter what they're doing or where they are is okay. Do you know why that happens? Is because they think that's a man of God. That's a woman of God. If the way my life is weren't right, I would hear it in church, wouldn't I? They're supposed to warn me, aren't they? Many preach today, and they use a verse or two, and their sermons are driven more by worldly ideology, especially if it sells, rather than the content of God's word. Surf the internet, pull up the words emergent church, pull up the word emerging church, pull up the words uh, the mark of the beast, and just attach different names. But pull up the different ministries, and there's all kinds. And folks, there's a lot of garbage out there that they're saying about these guys. Everything they're doing is not bad. But a little bad and a lot of good still makes a lot of bad. It's called a myth. It's called deception. And deception is ultimately deceiving. There are preachers today that genuinely know the Lord, yet have bought into the lie about the nature of, of the gospel transitioning for the feelings of man. They think they're sincerely helping people, but in the long run, they're ultimately hurting. I've got a lot more, but I think you heard enough. I preach today's message purposely, because if you don't believe this, none of the rest of it matters. You say, preachers, this the way your church is? Yeah. Because I believe this. You say, is there something else to believe? Not if you're going to heaven. Oh, you're saying you're only right. Nope. I'm saying God's word's only right. That's what I'm saying. Only God's word is right. 
Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. We are-